The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Two men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom. Now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Geeks, and welcome to episode 54 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. The podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Totally jazzed to talk about DC versus Marvel, but still waiting for the Cracked versus Mad Magazine battle with Sylvester P. Smythe facing off against Alfred E. Newman. I'm Adam. And great, we never had to endure a Valiant versus Ultraverse event because... Nobody would have cared about Shadow Man battling Nightman. Least of all, me. I'm Michael. And joining us tonight is a man who defines the word next level when it comes to pop culture fandom. A man whose passion for Wizard and this podcast has been bubbling behind the scenes for years until his arrival on the mic tonight. So from the horror movie barbecue blog and every rustling horror or toy convention within a hundred mile radius of his location at any given moment, it's Chad Young. How you doing, Chad? Oh, I am doing great. I've got my big purple wizard hat that Spidey was wearing on issue 1, 50 and 100, the big milestones. So, talk to me, Chad. What is the latest convention you just got back from? I went to a toy show last week. A lot of cool toys there, a lot of cool... It, it, that was the first uh, toy show that Rochester has had in a while. I am planning on going to uh, Chiller Theater in Parsippany, New Jersey next month. That's kind of where all my energy is going right this now. This is something, yeah, that it's just it's so interesting to me you are a man of the people especially the pop culture yes. famous people you like to uh-huh. get out there and press the flesh as they I say i do yeah i like to chat it up <laughs> chad or chat <laughs> yes both works i feel like that's your verb oh i'm just chatting it up over here <laughs> i like that one. Yeah. but chad you also have a history with wizard magazine that goes beyond just reading it every month and actually meeting the crew at conventions and so much more so we got to hear about it how you first discovered comics why wizard meant so much to you so tell us your origin story This is like the last page of Wizard where they're interviewing the writers and celebrities <laughs> and artists. First off, I don't know who would play me in a movie, but I know it would not be Tom Cruise, like Burt Ward said. But <laughs> I started comics probably when I was about six or seven. You know, it was probably during that Batman Ninja Turtles, Dick Tracy era. I was into X-Men before the cartoon because I remember getting super excited about that cartoon, but I, I don't remember the first comic I read. Well, and you have a brother, so was he into comics also, or was it just you? 
good memory because here's the deal. And I, I'm sure I've brought this up before. My brother, he wasn't as geeky or into comics, but I remember he had this like chest that like, I guess all older brothers, he, he was like Buzz at Home Alone. He had this chest <laughs> that you couldn't go near or touch or whatever and just stuff that was not allowed to be messed with. And he had an original Ninja Turtles comic because it was black and white. And I remember it was like either four or five. I remember reading it. I was like, this isn't the Ninja Turtles. What is this? So my dad was heavily into like sci-fi and horror and, you oh. know, um, so I, I would sometimes get like a G.I. Joe comic or a Batman comic. But as the 90s rolled around, what was catching your attention? Definitely X-Men, Punisher. Oh, gosh, I was a big Punisher fan. I mean, you've devoted whole podcasts to the death of Superman. I know about this. Yes, I did. A couple years ago, when I first started my podcast, I will say even when... I wasn't into comics. I've always been DC heavy, like movies, cartoons, toys. I would always lean towards DC. So, well, now, now tell us then, how does Wizard Magazine enter the picture? And what was your fandom for Wizard as compared to just casually reading the comics here and there? Oh my gosh. See, this is going to take a whole, this is going to be a, 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 a podcast series right here. <laughs> Again, it's one of those things where I don't remember the very first issue. It may have been the the one with all the ex women and mm-hmm. uh, on the cover. That sounds right because that was like ninety four ish, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, so that was probably the first one. The Wizard, you'd go into the comic store and you'd see it on the co- you know on the racks and you'd see Wizard sponsored stuff all over the stores and you know finally curiosity gets the best of you and you want to check it out and you start reading it and you're like oh my gosh at that point i think the only other magazine i had probably read as far as comics was heroes illustrated or comics comic scene yes comic scene hold on hold on hold on that heroes illustrated by those other podcasters (laughs) (laughs) oh heroes the illustrated podcast you don't want to listen to that you know don't listen to those guys wait (laughs) slow down blaze (laughs) blaze what kind of a name is blaze oh guys i'm sorry i've been meaning to tell you i have been subscribing to heroes illustrated podcast for ages it's probably blasphemy (laughs) that i've been listening to that show one of these days they'll see they'll see Mm. (laughs) but uh, but chad as you were flipping through the pages of wizard get back Mm -hmm. to the real source here yeah who were the stars of the magazine for you or what were the sections that were your favorite the letters column were always some of my favorites i thought jim mclaughlin was just hilarious and knowledgeable and just really witty I also loved the toy section was another one. I loved the fan art, even the envelopes. I always look forward to seeing the um, the fan-made envelopes and the fan art on those. I love the interviews. I love the little, like I said, the little section, the Q&A in the back. Chad, you took it a step farther, though, and you would go to comic book conventions and visit the Wizard booth. Do you have a favorite memory from stopping by the Wizard booth? You're giving me a little too much credit there, because <laughs> I only got to visit it, like, once once the one time i went was uh new york comic-con 2007 wait were... which new york comic-con was that was that number what year like uh there was two that was the oh, second one i went to three i went to i went to oh you went one. to three that, i that wanted was... to go to that one i went to the Cause... that one and i went to the one the year after i didn't go to two though so oh we missed each other i wanted to go to three because i think that was like the year that they were announcing like iron man and like that was like 
the pre-MCU. Yeah. That was one of the last pre-MCU Comic-Cons before it really exploded. And New York Comic-Con was so much better back then because it was so small. It was really almost like indie and startup, and it wasn't like what it is today where it's just Mm. super commercial and and basically sucks big time. (laughs) (laughs) New York Comic-Con now is horrible. I hate it. Yeah, no, 2007, you can get like a lot more done. You can go and see a lot more people. I'm sure the Artist Alley was probably a little bit more affordable, you know, because yeah. everyone back then was like signing stuff for free. So that oh. was nice. Unctuous, fantastically infunctious. Nickel beers and hockey games. The chicken wings are scrumptious. You need to change the tire when the rubber gets sore. We don't shirk responsibilities. No, that's, that's why we're going off. These are the things we love. These are the things we love. Collapse, collapse, collapse. I'm on the radio. Hey, Ma, here I am on the radio. Hey, Ma, Okay, 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 okay. So, yeah, to answer your question, Adam, I, I, when I went to 2007, I remember being excited because the Wizard uh, booth was going to be there, and they had the Wheel of uh, Prizes set up, and the little peg that they used was actually Mego Spider-Man. <laughs> so... Remember seeing that, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, Mego Spider Man!" And I, I, if I'm butchering his name, I apologize, but I think his name was Adam Patik. He was, I think, like an editor or a copy editor or contributor a little later on. He was manning the booth. You know, you spun the wheel and you you did some trivia. You got a nice prize. I ended up walking away with a nice uh, Naruto action figure, which I think I donated to the local thrift store. <laughs> but he he was fun. He was a good sport. He was very showmanish. You know, step right up, win a prize. You know, let's talk comics. Blah 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 blah. Nice. Yeah, so, you know, and I do have a photo. I think I've sent it to you before, and it's it even says wizard. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to share that with everybody. Well, that's awesome. You've been sharing a lot of my photos recently. <laughs> I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. You even met, you know, our recent guest, Jerry, the Spider-Man mm-hmm. of Marvel Comics at the Marvel offices. We had a whole mm-hmm. article that you wrote about that that we linked to. I mean, that was just so awesome to have that connection. But you mentioned that Jim McLaughlin doing magic words that was your guy that was your favorite section so i think it's time that we find out what people were writing in this month so michael we're gonna open up willie lumpkin's mailbag so Starting off here, there is a letter from a guy named Matthew Brewster of Knoxville, Pennsylvania, who makes an interesting claim. He says here, Dear Wizard, do you guys realize that you run the comics industry? Take a look. You did a story on Neil Adams in the next month. Everything you worked on increased in value. You did a story on Trent Kanuga, and now everyone is nuts about him. By the way, how do you pronounce Kanuga? And what does Mark Wolkowski do in his spare time? So Jim McLaughlin's response here, he says, we run the comic industry well damn straight buddy bow and prostrate before us kiss our feet lavish us with luxurious gifts and deep fried baked goods to gain our favor you have no choice if you want to be a player of this biz but seriously folks we don't run jack i'm sure we have some influence but it's relatively minor if we do an article on a little known newcomer like in the case of kenuga it probably helps them a bit by increasing their exposure uh, in the case of an established vet like neil adams their rep is already made adams is 53 times 
times more influential and larger in stature than wizard. Our influence is hit and miss at best. I like to pronounce Kenuga like that cool sound effect you hear in submarine movies when everything goes haywire, you know? The ship's sinking and the captain is firing forward torpedoes. Red lights are flashing and you hear that loud Kenuga! Kenuga! Actually, it's a German name pronounced Kenuga. Our snuggly editor, Mark Wachowski, is quite a busy guy. He says that in his spare time, he likes to, quote, follow the entertainment world and go dancing or to parties or to make it look like I'm sort of social. Mark is also the newsletter editor for the online fan club of the TV show ER. My well-placed spies also tell me that Wilco has recently been seen making goat cheese, feeling up midgets, hanging upside down in his closet, manufacturing red ink for all the superfluous commas he puts in his proofs, and blinding himself gradually. <laughs> Gotta get a little inappropriate at the end there. Oof. What do you guys think about that, though? At this point, Jimmy Clockland's saying, oh, no, we're so humble. You know, what we put in our pages doesn't matter. Uh, was that the case? No. They don't seem humble at all. <laughs> <laughs> no. They were the tastemakers, that is for sure. This guy had his finger on the pulse there. That was kind of the fun of Wizard, because they were just kind of arrogant, but it was done in such a funny way that you kind of looked past it. Well, if you were talking to some guy at a comic book store, that's how they would talk to you, right? Yeah! Oh my gosh, this whole magazine is nothing but comic book guy talking down to his audience. Now, the next letter here, though, is pretty interesting, because this is from Jason Hubble of Utica, Ohio, and he's writing in to ask a question about autograph comics, okay? So he says, first, let me say that I do not collect comics for their value. I do look forward to seeing whether or not my handful of valuable comics will go up in price each month, but this is because... I like to feel good about my collection, not because I would ever sell them. And now, my question. Will my new hobby of taking comics to conventions to get them signed actually decrease their value? Is a comic signed without a certification just another form of mutilation? Even if this is true, I won't stop getting them signed. They may be ruined to a buyer, but they will still fill me with memories and the kind of pride I think many collectors have forgotten about. So before we get to the response here, Chad, you are a man who loves the photo op. You love an autograph. You love to have the meet and greet. So tell us a little bit about, for you, the way you see collectibles in terms of, or do you get an autograph to increase the value? Do you buy things that have autographs because they are more valuable or because they're sentimental value? Like, where do you fall on that? I don't normally buy autographed stuff just because the steps to trying to get it authenticated, if it's not, like, authenticated already, is kind of a pain. For me, I, I never buy an autograph to increase monetary value. It's always... It has to be, like, sentimental for me. Like, I get a uh, line of WWE figures called Classic Superstars signed. Some of those are worth a lot of money. Are they worth more with the signature when you get that? Yeah, because a lot of those wrestlers are dead. <laughs> yeah, are dead. You know, a lot. It, yeah, when the line started, like a lot of the guys that are you know no longer with us now, they were still alive and kicking, and they were doing a lot of signings. Like Captain Lou, you could see at a signing every other day. But as as far as increasing the value of the, I that that's too complicated for me to kind of understand. I get everything personalized. I've learned that if it's personalized, 
it holds no value. If it's just right. their signature, you know, and it's authenticated, then it may hold some value. Yeah. So, for example, yes. like for me, like I went to RetroCon a few years ago. I got a Raphael figure signed by Rob Paulson, the voice of Raphael, oh. among many other animated characters. But he asked me at the time, he's like, "Do you want it personalized, or do you just want me to sign it?" And I asked him to personalize it, you know, because yeah. I was just like, "Well, I'm meeting Raphael," so you know, he said, "Adam, you know, Turtle Power, all this stuff." But it, where do you go with that? Chad, like what type of stuff do you have where it's personalized? I have a completed uh, Married with Children cast photo, and they're all made out to me with all the character names. I have a Nightmare on Elm Street poster, uh, an original that is inscribed with all the character names, quotes, and personalized to me. Wow. I want that experience. I want them all to just be special. I want them all to mean something. And if it's just an autograph, it, it's nice to kind of show off and brag, but it's, it's not the same. I, I want that special, unique memory. And I'm not going to get that if I go and buy a John Ritter autograph off eBay that just is his signature. Yeah, like I have a laser disc of Troop Beverly Hills that I keep trying to figure uh-huh. out, like, where am I going to run into any of the cast members of Troop Beverly Hills? Where is Shelley Long doing signings? Nowhere. Uh-huh. Carla Gugino. That's probably the only one I would ever find at some convention someday. But like, yeah, like I totally get it. It's like there's those special yeah. movies or, you know, shows or whatever that mean a lot to you. And yeah, you want it to, to be that experience. So here's an example, and it will tie into what you're about to get into, or we will get into a little later. Adam West was very heavily on the like autograph show signing circuit. And towards, I'd say, probably the last... 10, maybe 15 years of his signing, he he would only inscribe or personalize autographs. And if you wanted just a regular autograph, I think you have to pay like an extra 60, maybe $100. I don't remember the exact number. Because he understood but... the game at that point, why people were getting it. Yes, and he had a very, very, very strict business-savvy manager that would, for a lot of attendees, um, he's passed on, so I, I'll, I'll try to keep it nice, but Adam and his manager knew what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember at the last New York Comic Con that Stan Lee was at, I was in line to get his autograph. I had a Funko Pop I wanted him to sign. It was like $200 and you had about 1.1 seconds with the man. <laughs> yep. And, yep. and I, I was standing in line for five hours, and they're like, okay, Stan's going to take a break. You could stay in line, but he might, may not be back for about another three hours. I'm like, wow. I'm not going to spend eight hours in this line, and I never got his autograph. And a oh. friend of mine did, and literally uh-huh. it was $200 for the signature, then $100 for a photograph with him. I was like... I love Stan Lee, but I don't love him for $300. Well, and Chad, honestly, one of these days, I just want you to publish a book with all of your photographs and all of your signatures that you've gotten and just the stories. Like, you just need to collect that because you are so dedicated to that form of fandom, and I love it. Like, it's something I do here and there, you know, but it's not, like, my number one thing. So that is so awesome, and I know we could talk about it forever, but (laughs) we got a whole magazine to get to here, so we do. 
Here is what John Warren, the Market Watch editor, said about signed comics, though, at this time. He says, To answer your first question, in the case of expensive comics, $100 or more, it is possible that the signature would actually decrease the value of the book, because in many collectors' opinions, it's been decided that it is a form of impairment. In the case of a less expensive book, $5 and under, the price will always be higher for a signed book. Look for our inaugural autograph price guide this issue on page 193 and check out the latest value of the top creators in the industry. I will just stop it there. So Wizard finally created an autograph price guide in this issue. And you got to think about that, right? What is that saying? They are saying to the creators that will appear in their pages, this guy is more valuable than you are. Yeah, this is how much you're worth. (laughs) Yeah. So I I have to imagine that that rubbed people the wrong way because they literally have like, okay, Joe Schuster, you know, he created Superman. His autograph is worth $200. That's how much value will add to a book, right? But, uh, you know, but then you you get to somebody else where you're just like, okay, Evan Dorkin, $1. (laughs) Evan Dorkin, who we'll get to shortly here, his autograph is worth $1. Chris Bocciolo, you know, who was a big deal on Generation X, $3. You know, but then you go over to, again, somebody like Jack Kirby, only $75, and he was dead. It should have been, it should have been worth way more than that. That's weird. Right, but also keep in mind, Jack Kirby, by the time Jack Kirby, I, I'd say probably between the the 70s and 80s, he did a lot of conventions. That's a and good like point. I, yeah. You know, and he probably, we, we have to look at that in terms of 1996, not 2022. Jack Kirby now, obviously, people would be starting fights at an auction over a, a Jack yeah. Kirby autograph. Well, what's hilarious, though, is that all the artists, you get some pretty high values, but all of the writers, everybody's like a dollar or two dollars. Yeah. Except for Jerry Siegel, co-creator of Superman, for $20 is what he adds to your book. So, like, isn't that crazy? His collaborator, $200. His autograph, only Uh $20. Weird. That's got to stick in his crawl. Now, speaking of Adam West, though, they also have a celebrity comic book price guide. So, for the cast of Batman 1966, the cast of Batman 1989, the cast of Batman Returns of Batman Forever. So it breaks down, and we'll put this on social media, but the funniest thing is that, okay, if you get a cast photo signed by everybody, it says it would be worth $350. But, you know, everybody else, especially like, you know, Adam West and Burt Ward, $35, because like you said, they were everywhere. But Madge Blake, who played Aunt Harriet, her autograph is worth $125. I'm assuming because she was dead. So Yeah. <laughs> She did not so, get, I think she died like It said she died in 1969. So yeah. I I have a an eBay story about an autograph. So okay. You know my favorite Batman poster, right? Adam. The one that's Batman Returns one that's Oh yeah, just the a, snow one. No, oh, just I love that one. No, just a cowl with the white background like a okay. like and it just says returns on the bottom. It's it's beautiful. I actually have two. One that was a little ripped and one I got fairly good. But during the time that I was looking for that poster on eBay, there was an auction for a signed version of it with Michael Keaton, Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer, Tim Burton, and Christopher Walken. And I threw a chump bid out for like $85 because it was starting at like like maybe like 50 bucks at the time. That sucker went up in a matter of minutes. Like, at the, you know how eBay goes at the very end? Just 
to like $300 in like seconds. And I couldn't click fast enough to try to like, <laughs> it. I was like, oh, well, I'm getting unsigned, I guess. Well, according to this price guide, Michelle Pfeiffer was the hardest to get, and her autograph was worth a hundred bucks. So to add some value to your item, get your Catwoman action figure signed or whatever it was going to be. Seriously. I mean, this was quite a discussion, guys, because yeah, I know we all have our stories about autographs and doing all that, but you know, if we had gotten Madge Blake's autograph, it would have made the news. So I think it's time we get into the headlines, Michael, with... First, I will point out, I am sitting here on a fair amount of uh, ibuprofen because I realized yesterday I am getting old. I'm turning (laughs) 40 this year. Yesterday morning, I get up to go to work at like 4.30 in the morning, and I go to brush my teeth, and I reached in the cabinet to grab the toothpaste, and I somehow pinched a nerve in my neck that I can't turn my head this is the first time i've been vertical in about 24 hours so i'm here for you people listening to this podcast pushing through yes so that being said here's our top story for wizard news an actual news story can you believe it an actual news story the owners of planet comics in oklahoma city are facing an eight-count indictment for distribution of and selling of obscene materials which could earn them up to 86 years in jail and only a fine of $100,000. So it's like 86 years in jail, but a hundred grand. Better scrape up that cash. (laughs) What are these materials, you ask? An issue of... Veratica, oh, Veratica. From musician-turned-comics publisher Glenn Danzig, the always controversial comic books from Boneyard Press with names like... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I always get the worst thing. Mighty Morphing Rump Rangers <laughs> and more adult titles depicting graphic sex and violence. An undercover operation was conducted at Tyrone's Baseball Cards and Comics in St. Petersburg, Florida, by Detective Jennifer Waters. Oh, man. (laughs) She was almost (laughs) She-Hulk. So close, so close to being She-Hulk. Who, upon finding the offensive materials, notified the store owner that three items were unsuitable for public display and illegal to be set out in open access areas is what they called it okay these titles included the lady death lingerie special death the high cost of living which discusses aids and gen 13 number five where fairchild's thong leotard is on display while in a fighting pose now, if this was 2022, those covers, yeah, they'd probably be out. Like, and it wouldn't be, I mean, this seems weird. It's so tame by today's standards, it's yeah. It's so, so tame. I mean, like, but look at where these things are happening. Oklahoma City and Florida. And Florida, all the old people, they're not standing for that. Right. They don't, they don't like these porno magazines in their, <laughs> back in their little comic book stores. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Did you ever hear of a crackdown on a comic book store in your neck of the woods chad you got anything for us was there ever controversy 
I'm going to answer this with a half and half. Yes <laughs> and no. Not in comic stores because it was all mom and pop uh, stores or, you know, it, only diehards really went in. You didn't just wander into a comic store. You, it, you had to kind of know what you were going in for. There is a similar story here that I actually experienced and I was a part of. Wow. In 97, I went to, like, go check out a school. I was going to a new school and there were a couple schools you had to go, like, visit and do like a day or like tryout or whatever it was. And they were like private schools and there were, there were, we were given no like dress code or like, Hey, don't wear this. Don't wear that. I wore a gen 13 shirt. Whoa. It, it was a white t-shirt on the front. It was the green, like 13. Mm-hmm. And on the, back was just that image of all of them like jumping and posing there was like uh-huh. really nothing bad about it it was that cover that we've all seen it, sure i'm wearing it i'm just walking around like looking at everything and someone went to a teacher or the principal or whatever and uh complained about it they said that it's sexually charged and that i had to come back another day and wear a different shirt wow and i was like wait what are you serious like to me it was just like oh it's this gen 13 it's a comic and, and i've had other gen 13 shirts i've had the one that said come and get it <laughs> but this was probably the most tame one this is the most tame gen 13 shirt i've ever seen that is wild yeah because my buddy had one uh that was a gen 13 shirt i never even as much as i love the comic i would never wear the uh <laughs> you know ephemera and stuff but he had one that was fairchild like with just like bikini bottoms her shirt on with kind of her arms behind her head like this thing and i was like oh that's, it was kind of crazy to see but that's wild man yeah the uh, you were the subject of it that's crazy yeah but this was like the most uncontroversial thing ever and like i always thought that i even joked with my sister i'm like shit i'm just gonna wear a wonder woman shirt tomorrow let's see <laughs> how far we can take this oh well chad why don't you take us into the next story here all right in more marvel news x-men editor bob harris has been promoted to editor-of-chief of marvel comics according to an unnamed marvel staffer bob harris was the only choice according to generation x writer scott lobdell I am 100,000% confident that when all is said and done, the industry will see Bob's role as editor-in-chief at Marvel to be a milestone in the annals of comic dump. He doesn't know how percentages work. (laughs) I don't think so. God bless him, but you know what? I admire the hyperbole. That's dedication. Did you guys have any idea Bob Harris took on this role? I'm sure Adam did. I had no... No, I had no recollection that Bob Harris was editor-in-chief. Like, it just didn't ring a bell for me at all. Really? Because I I, I do remember this kind of being a big deal, and it was supposed to be a big shakeup. And another, I'm I'm sorry, <laughs> another sidetrack into another Chad story. When I, we, you know, we mentioned when I went to the Marvel offices, yeah, we actually walked by Bob's office, and he was on the phone. And he actually waved at us and couldn't talk to him. He was on the phone, but he was there. Yeah, I don't I don't think he really if, if VH1 was to do a top 100 comic industry stories. Yeah, I don't think that this would have been on it. <laughs> yeah, because like when I think of like names of an editor in chief at either company that I would recognize, you know, I'm thinking like your old days, Julius Schwartz or Stan Lee or Carmine Infantino or Jerry Conway, Jim Shooter, Tom DeFalco, modern day Joe Casada, Dan DiDio. You know, like those are the names mm-hmm. coming out. Bob Harris would never even just yeah. it wouldn't have come to mind at all. And I think that he came in during a, a really bad period because that was, if I'm remembering right, it's around the time that marvel was kind of selling all their heroes yeah that they were they were on the road to bankruptcy yeah 
But yeah, Bob Harris, good writer. I just I couldn't tell you any of the major stuff that happened under his watch. Yeah, so I guess we'll pay attention for the next couple issues here and see what is going on at Marvel with Bob in charge. But Michael, what's next? Well, continuing with the Marvel headlines, Nuts and Bolts is a short article discussing the future of Iron Man books where it is revealed that Tony Stark has been secretly influenced by Kang the Conqueror since early days of the team. This feels like... The history is repeating us because the MCU is going this, this direction, I feel like. Oh. This influence caused his alcoholism and during a blackout led to Stark murdering the new Yellow Jacket and the nanny of Quicksilver and Crystal's child. Tortured by his revelation, Stark tries to redeem himself and goes out a hero. Oh, boy. Oh, great. I don't remember this at all. Tony Stark dies, uh-uh. and he killed all these people? Like, whoa! Because at this time, nobody cared about Tony Stark. Yeah, like, Iron like, Man was nothing, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was not interesting. But because the world needs an untainted Tony Stark to make it a better place, the Avengers decide they must go back in time and pull 19-year-old Tony out of the time stream and bring him to the present day to grow up with the guidance of heroes in order to achieve his full potential and funny enough when the storyline of superior iron man comes out they do the exact same thing and bring young tony stark forward to defeat superior iron man wow uh, a boo (laughs) (laughs) They must have just been holding on to it, because, as our next story tells us, Jim Lee drawing Fantastic Four? Or Rob Liefeld drawing Iron Man? It might happen. The buzz box here in Wizard News. Buzz hears that Marvel might license its comic book titles to individual Image Comics studios for Image to produce, specifically Wildstorm Productions and Extreme Studios. Topps Comics is also reported to be in the mix. Among the titles rumored to be part of this arrangement are the Spider-Man titles, Captain America, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, and Daredevil. Neither Marvel Image nor Topps would confirm or deny the rumor. Ooh, so yes, you will have to stay tuned for next issue because there the rumors might be true you might know what's going on there some of the facts were right some of them were not and finally mike grell the creator of shaman's tears has (laughs) reintroduced an old character from his john sable comics named maggie the cat into the world of 90s comics says grell it's become very obvious that the most popular and best-selling books feature sexy ladies so there's a certain amount to be said for my cashing in on the craze grell provides the ultimate elevator pitch when describing the series as oh boy (laughs) say it oh james bond with breasts Adam does this to me on purpose, guys. I absolutely do. <laughs> I saw I saw the headline and I was like, oh, we're going to talk about Shaman's Tears. And then it parlays into this nonsense. Oh, of course. Because he knows I never read the notes beforehand. So I'm just like, <laughs> all right, I'm just flying off the seat of my pants. Then he closes out by saying, but I do intend for the stories and the characters to carry this book and not the sex. 
Well, there you go. Which is why it lasted, like, what, two issues? (laughs) Yeah, Maggie the Cat not blowing people away. It's so interesting. This is the second time Mike Grell, he is so blunt. When he joined Image in the first place to do Shaman's Tears, he also said, he's like, look, you put that eye on the book and it sells a million copies. So, yes, I'm cashing in. It's all business. All right. Well, guys, we are going to cash in here and get into the details of this issue as we talk about issue 54 of Wizard Magazine with a February 1996 cover date because it features a massive three-panel fold-out Marvel vs. DC cover by Bart Sears, a favorite of Wizard. They love bringing it back when they can. It is headlined, if you will, by Lobo and uh, Wolverine duking it out. So here's what Wizard had to say about this particular cover, why it was monumental in some way. This is for the big book of covers. We had wanted to do a Marvel vs. DC cover for years, but politics kept the crossover idea in limbo. The 1996 Marvel DC crossover comics event finally opened the door, and we celebrated by not only bringing back the Wizard Gatefold cover, but also by giving it a triple gate. So that was a big deal because they hadn't done that since the Alex Ross covers where he did the Marvel's characters, so they're bringing it back. Now, also a big deal though in this issue, there was a star Wars trading card packed in, but the main event was a double-sided game board, which featured Evan Dorkin's milk and cheese on one side, get inside to get an extra dollar, and Mike Allred's Madman on the other. And contained within the comic was a special offer to order a pair of dice featuring the characters, and it had the wizard logo on one side, it had their characters' heads on the other, and it allowed you really to play the game in a full experience is what they promised. And yes, we have these very rare dice and game board in the archives of course we do (laughs) we do right But wizard staffer Chris Ward, who we've had on the Wizard Files, he has claimed to also have the dice and the game board as well in his collection. So, yep, for a game, Chris, give us a call. We're ready to go. That's a very fun piece of Wizard history, because, yeah, how many people mailed away for those dice? But getting into our cover story here, this issue, War of the Worlds is an interview with the masterminds behind the Marvel vs. DC four-issue crossover event. Mark Grunewald from Marvel, Mike Carlin from DC Comics. And it's revealed that Carlin was actually Grunewald's assistant at Marvel in the 80s, but they quickly discarded the whole hierarchy thing and just became friends. Of course, in this interview, they are playfully antagonistic, each promoting their characters as the sure victors in the conflict. Okay, so here's like an example of what they're saying. Mike Carlin says, everybody knows who the great characters are at both companies. It really was just a matter of writing it down. There was no question as to which characters would be battling for the honor of top comic book company. Grunewald says we had to figure out the appropriate matches obviously hulk could take any of dc's characters but we wanted to pit him against only somebody that would give him the semblance of a reasonable fight the same thing with most of our characters they could beat any three dc characters but we tried to match most of them in such a way that the dc guys would at least be able to make a reasonable showing for a couple of pages before they got trounced and then mike carlin says and we let marvel have their fun we let them pick their cream of the crop so to speak but talk is cheap the action will play out the world will know that DC has it all. Superman could beat all the characters in the Marvel Universe. Mark Grunewald says, he died, pal. Mike Carla responds, and he beat death, and he came back to fight another day. <laughs> and then Mark Grunewald's not going to let it go. Did you ever break a little ceramic statue and try to glue it back together? It's never as strong as it was. He was broken. He was defeated. He was lucky to have squeaked by out of death's round once. Do you think he could do it again? 
I don't think so. So, yeah, <laughs> really building it up. You know, this is some boxing match type of stuff. This is some uh, Freddy versus Jason at a press conference. Mama's boy over there. He ain't got no style. <laughs> But the uh, the series writing duties on this were split between Ron Mars and Peter David, and the art was also split between Dan Jurgens and a guy named Claudio Castellini, who they say was touted as the Todd McFarlane of Italy. <laughs> Regarding Aquaman's facing off against Namor the Submariner, and Ron Mars declares that it's all on the up and up. Quote, I can assure everyone that if Batman outvotes Captain America or Spider-Man outvotes Superboy, those are the results you'll see in the third issue. Fans are going to get what they asked for and wizard also interviewed some comics pros about who they wanted to win in these dream matchups for example george perez says i think it'll probably end up with superman as the winner superman has a big arsenal of powers beyond super strength but the hulk is strictly brute strength and then this is interesting mark wade says superman anyone with heat vision beats anyone else no matter who it is heat vision is a lock what do you guys think about that is heat vision the ultimate superpower i don't know if it's the ultimate superpower i mean it depends on can it cut through like captain america's shield which is you know Hmm. more or less unbreakable or like can it can it cut through mjolnir i don't know I mean, but does anybody, when, you know, the game where people are like, what superpower would you want? Does anybody say heat vision? Unless you're from Western New York during the winter. <laughs> or unless you're Jack Black. Anybody. Huh? Oh, heat vision and Jack. Boo. <laughs> and they're talking about uh, Captain America versus Batman. And John Byrne says, this is where I apply my specialist rule. While Batman is the world's greatest detective, Cap is the world's greatest fighter. And then Kurt Busiek says, never mind the utility belt, never mind the shield. It's a Jack Kirby super soldier versus a Bob Kane crime fighter. The super soldier wins. Is Captain America really the best fighter? Is that what he's known for? He's a strategist, right? Isn't that what they always say? I thought he's just a good leader. I mean, he's a great fighter, but I would think, like, Wolverine's probably a better fighter, you know? Now, the last one here I'll just bring up, this cracks me up, because they're talking about Lobo versus Wolverine. And so they say here, they get the Len Kaminsky, who is writing Ghost Rider 2099 at this time, says, I don't suppose we could possibly get lucky enough for them to kill each other, could we? So, and then uh, Mark Wade says, uh, I hate Lobo, so I say Wolverine. <laughs> I loved Lobo. Yeah. He's absolutely. He was great. So, Chad, did, did you have a particular opinion when you heard about DC versus Marvel? Like, did you buy him? Did you care? Oh, my gosh. Yes, this was a massive event. And I tell you what, I still have the number one issue that I oh. picked up at the little Safeway because one day I got sick and my mom took me to like go get medication and she let me grab uh, Marvel vs. DC. Number one, I still have it. I loved it. I thought it was really unique. I know that the results were not what people wanted. You know, they were a lot of them were just like quick, very small panels. Yeah, like speaking of Wolverine versus Lobo, they literally just oh, walk into geez. a bar, they disappear behind the bar counter and then Wolverine walks away and smoking a cigar too right? yeah but this was a massive event I remember the little voting ballots and the voting boxes at comic stores I think even Stan Lee did an appearance somewhere there's like photos of him and Spider-Man and Batman like he's in between 
seen them, kind of oh, like wow. a referee. I think there is. I, I'll I believe try so. to find that if it exists. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I thought was fun when I reread the four issues, there are like the main matchups that they were promoting that you could vote on. But then mm-hmm. also they have this whole section where it was just like news reports and all these things like Steel facing off against the Absorbing Man. Just weird <laughs> things that we never saw happen, like the full fight. But you got to see these mm-hmm. glimpses of other matchups. And I thought that was extra fun. You know, like it was just neat to see like they had more than just the few that they were promoting. But they also announced in this issue under the headline Worlds Collide, the lineup of amalgam books that are going to hit the shelves in the wake of Marvel vs. DC issue number three. So if you want to see all those, you guys need to go check out our YouTube channel where I just opened up a pack of amalgam trading cards from 1996 and I show off all my full run of the amalgam comics. So you can see all the different character mashups that they had there if you weren't reading these back in the day but is there a particular one michael i know you were a fan of the amalgam series so was there one mashup concept that you thought was just brilliant oh man i did love the robin spider-man mashup yeah spider boy that was really good now is it Wonder Woman and, and Storm that get mashed together. Yep. And I honestly loved the Captain America Superman mashup with like the Superman shield. Like, yeah, that was really good. Those were probably my favorites. In the Amalgam packs, I think I got like an Elastigirl one, which is like, I think it's like Kitty Pride or something. It's some sort of weird. Yeah, I think it was part of X Patrol, I think. Yeah, was, yeah she was in that. Yeah. It looks cool, but it, I never remember seeing it in the comic, but it was a cool card. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. But definitely, I'd say the Spider-Boy is probably my favorite by far. How about for you, Chad? Loved Dark Claw. Yeah, I loved the Super Soldier. I thought that was a really cool look. Bullets and Bracelets, Amazon. The one that I don't think anyone ever really mentions is the Dark Claw <laughs> Adventures. Yeah. Which was like the animated Batman for Dark Claw. And that, that was that was a fun concept. I, I, I would have liked to have seen more of that, to be honest. I just saw pictures of that on social media. Did you post that? That, that, that was me. Oh, I don't even Good for paying attention there. Spider-Boy was definitely my favorite, although Lobo the Duck is hilarious. <laughs> Mashing up Lobo and Howard the Duck. But the hidden one that a lot of people don't talk about is Doctor Strange Fate, because mm-hmm. that was Professor X, Doctor Strange, and Doctor Fate all in one. And that was like a pivotal book because it actually told you what was going on, like with the realities. Like Doctor Strange Fate was actually sensing something wasn't right. And he wanted to maintain the reality, but there's this kid named Access who is like between the worlds. He's from both. And so he's trying to put things back to be right and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I just, I loved all of that. Yeah, that, that was some good stuff. One of the frames, I, 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 I think it's in the first issue. A bunch of people are actually outside of Warner Brothers store kind of looking at stuff, so that always <laughs> sticks out on my mind, too. That's awesome. I'll have to go back and check that one out. Uh, now, definitely not to be found at the Warner Brothers studio store is the subject of Immortal Combat, which is an interview with the creative team of Preacher, Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon, about their plans for the future of this dark but popular Vertigo title. Of the controversial content contained within the pages of Preacher, Garth Ennis says, quote, I touch on 
done stuff that would cause trouble if it got into the right hands. People won't believe this, but I don't set out to shock or cause controversy. I write it because I enjoy it. I get a kick out of writing really sick stuff. But I also do it because I think it's funny and it'll make me and Steve laugh. Artist Steve Dillon responds to this, quote, It's all well and good for Garth to write this stuff. He can knock out a script in about a week, but I have to spend my month living with it. <laughs> and if you have seen what is inside a Preacher comic, there's some pretty grotesque imagery that he had to draw. Yeah, but Edis closes by saying, A lot of people will pick up on the violent and controversial aspects, but at its heart, Preacher is a rather moral book. Good and evil are very clearly defined, and good does tend to triumph one way or another. It just has to learn to fight dirtier than evil. <laughs> so, where do you guys fall on shock value in your comics? Does it thrill you? Does it turn you off? Like, Chad, horror movie barbecue, you like the horror. Do you want it in your comics? It helps. You know, <laughs> I, I, I always looked at comics as an escape. I didn't want to think about the real world when I was in this world of comic books and superheroes. But, you know, I think a little shocking, controversial nature definitely helps. I mean, obviously, if you go back and look at the seduction of the innocent stuff, I mean, controversy in comics goes back as far as the eye can see. Yeah. So it's always going to be there. I think that especially in the 90s, everything was trying to push the envelope and comics were no different. Vertigo. Enough said. Yeah. Well, Michael, you love a good serial killer documentary. Do you like serial killers <laughs> in your comics? I do. I do very much so. Yes, uh, I thought um... so. <laughs> I will admit, and I might get killed for this, I have the first two volumes of Preacher. I just couldn't get into it. The grotesque part of it didn't bother me that much. It's just, I wasn't captivated by the story, at least huh. the first. I don't know why. And it seems like a book that we run up my alley. Yeah. I've mentioned I've mentioned this on the podcast before. One of my favorite books or story arcs from the past, you know, maybe eight to ten years, is a Gail Simone book called Clean Room, which is super grotesque. Like, super grotesque. <laughs> But it is a fantastic story with beautiful art, and I couldn't put it down. So, yeah, I don't know. I still have the Preacher books. I might go back to them and try to pick it up again, but I just couldn't get into it. Okay. Well, fair enough. Now, this is something I, I'm going to assume you have not picked up as we talk about next year. Risque business. Getting into the other side of controversy. Oh, definitely not. This is, <laughs> this is not Penthouse Monthly letter section here. <laughs> well, Wizard sure wanted to make it that way because this is a report on the number of top-tier comics creators who have taken a paycheck from Penthouse Comics to create adult-themed stories in their publication. Such notable names as Keith Giffen, Mark Texera, Adam Hughes, Kevin McGuire, and longtime Archie Comics good girl artist Dan DiCarlo have all dared to get naughty with their mostly parody comics at the infamous men's magazine. Paycheck's a paycheck, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, to start off here, a recent X-Files parody, The Sex Files, featuring spot-on likenesses of Mulder and Scully getting freaky, Paycheck Annie Flowers, uh, oh, has somehow not created a lawsuit. Editor David Elliott admits, quote, Arco from the beginning was to make Marvel Comics with breasts. So from James Bond with breasts to Marvel Comics with breasts. Ongoing strips in Penthouse Comics include Dr. Dare about, quote, a superwoman who fights super Nazis with powers that she only gets after having sex. <laughs> oh, boy. 
That is concept right there. Bethlehem Steel, about a female android, a western called Slim and Nun, N-U-N, Young Captain Adventure, and several others. So it kind of makes the bad girl's tread seem tame, doesn't it? <laughs> Penthouse Comics. Yeah. Oh boy. And I will tell you, they were... I will tell you, I've got several copies. No, even even I have not deigned to go this far. Uh, but uh, it was reported in Wizard News, and I, I passed over it just to not bring down the show, but their editor-in-chief that they originally hired, he went kind of crazy with all the money they paid him. He got a bunch of cocaine, and then eventually he jumped off a building. As you do what? on cocaine. Yeah, I mean, he, he had a rough time, guys, that guy. So, <laughs> the new guy in charge is like no we're on the right track here don't worry nothing seedy going on at penthouse remember when the people versus larry flint was like a prestige film that is just crazy to me but anyway next up here on a more wholesome side of things letter perfect is a tutorial on how to letter comics by veteran todd klein says klein while wearing the world's nerdiest sweater vest and striped shirt combo quote i think it is possible for letterers to be just as important as anybody else and be noticed as much as anyone else. Never stop believing that, Todd. You go for it, buddy. God bless you, Todd. Truth be told, it's a very fine art. I mean, lettering. And this part of comics, I would say to this day, still gets no attention or glory in any way. But shout out to past guest on The Wizard Files and former Wizard staffer Russ Wooten, who is a journeyman letterer at this point. He works with top talent on lots of books you have heard of. He's getting it done. So, you know, there are the people in the industry that recognize the importance of a good letterer, even if the readers, we kind of take it for granted can you guys name a letterer anybody no a letterer no i do appreciate a good a good letter i will give him that the only time i've really noticed like lettering being different is that like if you get like the cheapest of the cheap comics from the 80s like just (laughs) indie press books they're like typed out like on a computer and then they just pasted them in and you're like a typewriter not not a computer (laughs) yeah you're right it was yeah it was a typewriter at that point getting flashbacks to gi jack (laughs) rap But guys, closing out here with the main event of Wizard Magazine, this is when Titans Tussle 2, this time it's personal. I just added that in there. This is actually a sequel article to an imaginary comic book mashup or bash-up card created by Jim McLaughlin in issue number 39. Jim mentions that many of the dream matches that seemed impossible at the time have now become reality because of DC vs. Marvel and other intercompany crossover books that had been happening leading up to this now chad you are a major wrestling fan you have met pretty much every wrestler on the planet in person alive or dead now true michael and i dabbled in the fun of the monday night wars i know we've talked about that in the past but let's kind of all give our thoughts on these grudge matches here from when Titans Tussle 2. And I'm curious to just see what you guys think here. So first up, he is pitting the ever-loving blue-eyed thing against Bad Rock from Youngblood. Who are you going with in this one? Bad Rock. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm going with Bad Rock. And I love Thing, but... <laughs> what do you say, Michael? I'd probably go with Bad Rock as well because Thing is too sensitive. <laughs> yes, Bad Rock doesn't care. Jim McLaughlin says Badrock may have youth and a backwards baseball hat on his side, but the thing is lived through years of fights and has tons of experience to draw on. Ultimately, it's the battle-savvy Aunt Petunia's favorite nephew that wins out here. 
So Jim does not agree with you guys. But what about this matchup? Wolverine versus Ripclaw from Cyberforce. Uh, I think everyone loses it. (laughs) (laughs) I have to believe this actually happened. I'm imagining around 98, 99, they did this. We're going to see. I mean, Image is so big right now that, like, they'll probably give it that way. But the fans are probably like, you crazy? How could anything beat Wolverine? Yeah. People just salivate over Wolverine. (laughs) Jim's explanation is, I wouldn't want to meet up with Ripclaw at a dark alley. Heck, I wouldn't want to meet up with him at a well-lit alley. But for practically any wound, Ripclaw can hand out. Wolvie's already had worse at some point, and he can heal it. It's hard to beat a guy like that. Wolvie wins. Now, how about Generation X versus Gen 13? And I will tell you, there were two crossover series with these teams eventually, but what do you guys think? Is Generation X going to beat out Gen 13? You wore the clothes. Chad, what do you think? <laughs> Are you team Gen 13? Yeah, I'm going with Gen 13. <laughs> Fairchild alone would kill it. <laughs> She's X. pretty buff, Jeez. yeah. Yeah. So what do you think, Michael? Gen 13 as well. Okay, you are right, because in the long run, Generation X just might turn out to be the tougher squad. They are, after all, being taught by some of the best in the business, Banshee, Emma Frost, and the X-Men. Replay this battle in one year, and you just might see Generation X mopping the floor with Gen 13. But he says that he thinks that his Gen 13 has it all over Generation X, just based on the raw power, like you said, Chad. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Fairchild alone, get him mop the floor with the mopey kids of Generation X. Mopey emo kids. How about Electra versus She? No one cares. I don't care, I don't she, care, I don't care. I don't, yeah, pretty much, I don't care, so. Well, let's see what Jim McLaughlin says. We don't want to take anything away from She, but Electra's one tough customer. Heck, she's even come back from the dead. That still counts for something in comics, doesn't it? Well, doesn't it? <laughs> and here we have animated tick versus animated batman i'm going I, the tick i don't need a winner i just need 22 minutes to watch that episode <laughs> so i think we all win i i don't have a clear winner it'd, it'd be great entertainment it says the tick would be one tough opponent for batman strong as anything and nearly indestructible but brains will win this battle batman can outwit him with one frontal lobe tied behind his back now here's an interesting one guys they're basically like the same character different companies deathstroke the terminator versus the taskmaster what do you think we just saw taskmaster in black widow so people know that character a little bit more we almost got deathstroke in the dceu I gotta say Deathstroke, because oftentimes in the comics, they play Taskmaster as kind of a joke. Oh. Yeah. I'm a, I'm gonna go with Deathstroke, too. Okay. So it says here, the Taskmaster's reflexes allow him to duplicate any action he sees, and he's already seen a lot. And if this battle lasts more than six seconds, the Taskmaster can duplicate anything Deathstroke does, and probably even do it better. That's a trick that Mr. Old One-Eye can't pull off. Nice knowing you, baby. <laughs> Riddler versus Arcade? I'll just say, yeah, I mean, that is just a weird one, because they're saying it's not anything to do with physicality, right? It's just, but it does say, Riddler can hang tough both mentally and physically, Arcade can't. Thrown into the other guy's trap, the Riddler just might be clever enough and sneaky enough to escape. Arcade is a red smear in about 12 seconds. I don't even know who Arcade is. He's a guy, there was the Spider-Man and the X-Men in Arcade's Revenge. He's an X-Men villain who builds theme parks and, like, giant pinball machines, and then he captures the X-Men inside. So he's boring Toy Man. 
Yes. With red hair and a bow tie. He couldn't even get a Toy Biz figure. That should tell you how exciting. That is not hard to do. You're right. No. Batman versus Daredevil. Now, here's what you might be invested in, Michael. What do you think? You know, I've heard this debate before. I gotta go with Batman only because he will figure out ways to outwit people. The variable is Daredevil has all those extrasensory perceptions, but I still feel like if Batman could figure out a way to defeat Superman, he could figure out a way to beat Daredevil. Okay. How does Ben Affleck beat up himself? That's what I want to (laughs) know. Now that would be something I'd like to see. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, in this case, and it might be the case in your scenario, Jim McLaughlin says it's a draw. So he says, mm-hmm. unless the Kingpin or Bane shows up to throw a monkey wrench into the works, it's going to be a draw. Come to think of it, Frank Miller's got a little experience on Batman, too. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be fun to see him do this one? So yeah, Frank Miller's Batman versus Daredevil. That actually would be awesome. Get that done. Come on, DC. No, you can't have Frank Miller do anything anymore. All right, last two here mr mixelplick versus the impossible man you know mr mixelplick i know but what about impossible man it was a mar or an x-men guy right he was actually more of a fantastic four nuisance i would say Oh, okay Yeah, but he's like a big green alien with, well, not even big. He's a little green alien with a big oblong head. Oh, that guy? Yeah. It says, now, in the unlikely instance that they were to get into a fight, and what would that say about the duality of man? Huh? The impossible man wins. Neither character is malevolent, but Impy has a much greater potential for violence, albeit accidental violence. He probably uses shape-shifting ability to turn his body into a giant road grater and accidentally mulch Mitzelplick up, but he'd feel pretty bad about it. See, I disagree. Because I think if that were the case, Batmite would show up, and they, they, <laughs> and then uh, him and Mixel Pickle, Picklewick or whatever his name is will will uh, will defeat the green boring character from the Fantastic Four, in my opinion. All right, the last one here is really interesting because this is Molecule Man versus Solar Man of the Atom, meaning that Molecule Man can control the matter at a molecular level, and Solar can control any form of energy. What do you guys think? Nothing bores me than the idea of this I yeah I, I started yawning as you were talking uh, i will say you know i like the look of solar so I'll give it to Solar, just only on semantics. But Yeah, and Jim McLaughlin says here, Solar gets the nod. Why? Confidence. And basically he just explains that if you read like the Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars series, Molecule Man has major issues of confidence, you know? Like he just thinks he's a loser and he's a little whiny guy and all this stuff. But Solar like kind of goes after what he wants. And I, you guys probably haven't read his comics, but he like, they mentioned like he created a whole universe because he's like, Earth sucks. I'm going to create my own universe. You know know what? He would have been a good, like, Marvel villain. Like, in the the 80s when, like, X-Men were really weird. He could have been a good X-Men villain. Or a good foil to, like, Franklin Richards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, I I think Solar is just so lame. And uh, honestly, I mean, look (laughs) at his costume. His costume is very Cyclops. Uh, Before Cyclops, I I think that Solar came first. But, man, if, if Solar was in the Marvel universe, I think he would probably have a little bit more of a following than he does in already. No. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. We're probably never going to see Solar Man of the Atom the movie, but Michael, they were trying to get him made back in 1996, so why don't you tell us about what's coming in... Heroes in Motion.
issue features two big articles on the Generation X TV movie debuting on Fox, but it was already covered at length by Adam, Steven, and myself on the Generation X bonus episode, which was, I don't know, between watching that show, doing that podcast, three hours of my life I'll never get back. (laughs) But go check it out. Very, very funny. We had a really good time talking about it. So, Chad, did you ever watch this Generation X movie? I not only watched it on the night it debuted, I recorded it, and I would watch it quite often. I loved yes. it back then. Yes! Woohoo! Yeah. a third, I, Steven. Do you hear it? We got a third in our army. Ugh. I loved Generation X. I mean, it was clearly lo- very low budget, but yeah. it was fun. And I, I tend to remember hearing the rumors that that was going to be a pilot for, you know, a show eventually. And, you know, then we got Mutant X, but, well, I, I don't think we could talk about that. <laughs> the less said, the better. It's been a while since I've actually watched it. I don't know how well it holds up, but it I doesn't hold it. up. It does, <laughs> does not hold up. Okay. So it's just like hackers if they were mutants, right? Well, they called it 90210 meets mutant. Okay. So it's probably been like 20... It's more like Saved by the Bell meets mutants. <laughs> okay, so wait, are you trying to not sell me on it, I said? <laughs> you don't know Chad very well. <laughs> I am a Saved by the Bell fanatic, so I what, will... What, yes. was that, what was that knockoff Saved by the Bell show? California like, Dreams? Yes, it's like California Dreams meets the mutants. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> okay. Well, then I'll hey, have to revisit it. You're, you're still on board. Damn. I can't get <laughs> Just move on, Michael. You're not going to win this oh, one. Oh, I've lost a lot. Oh, sorry, Michael. I like right. you, Michael, but I, 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 I got to stay true. Oh, man. <laughs> Just if, if in like five years Adam wants to do like a rewatch of this thing and a rehash of it, call we Chad. Know, we know who to call. Leave me out. Yes. You, you put me. in your time. Yes. I did it. I, I did my time. I've, I've, <laughs> I've been to the asylum and back. Okay. Next up. It's revealed that the writer of the dark noir thriller 7, Andrew Kevin Walker, submitted a script for an X-Men film to producer Lauren Schuler Donner. Yep. Oh, I got it right. Who knew? Which was ultimately shelved for a year to give another up-and-comer a crack at writing a Marvel mutant movie. Says Schuler Donner, both scripts are great, so we'd like to combine them. Andy's characterizations are great, and Leda has a streamline of the story. Suffice it to say, we're now on to looking at directors. Oh, let me guess. We've got James Cameron we're thinking about. <laughs> he wants to get on board. He, he actually did. He had planned to make an X-Men and a Wolverine movie in addition to Spider-Man. He had plans for those, too. Of course he did. Still talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's how good a job they both did. We just got the Batman, which is basically Seven in the comic book world. Imagine Seven starring the X-Men. No. No. No, 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 no. 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 Maybe Batman, but... I'll just tell you, the multiple man did it. That's the end of that story. I I don't want to go too far off top but I will say I really loved the Batman movie and I loved the idea of how they turned the Riddler character in this story. It really works for me. And the one thing issue about the Batman movie, and I'm going to talk about this much deeper in the future after people have more seen it, but I feel like this was one of the few superhero films that 
you could take Batman out and it's still a great movie. And on top of that, it was one of the few movies of comic bookdom where legit pages from the comics were ripped from the book and put on screen. I was like, oh man, they did that. And I was thrilled for it. That's all I got to say about the Batman. All right. Yeah, I know you can place and reference and all of that. But, yeah. uh, we got a long way to go through this podcast. So I yeah. Gotta get, get cranking. <laughs> anyway, the planned Ghostwriter movie from Savoy Pictures is going through hell to get to the big screen. No kidding. Apparently, Savoy has had to deal with the financial difficulties dealing with flops like Exit to Eden, starring Rosie O'Donnell and Dan Aykroyd. Do you guys remember that movie? I absolutely remember that movie. I watched that movie several times. <laughs> several times. It's a, it's a bad movie, but it's kind of fun in the, in the same token. While enjoying only modest success with urban horror anthology Tales from the Hood, though Marvel Films executives say the Ghost Rider movie is on top of the list for production with Russell McCauley as director. Who is Russell McCauley? Highlander, baby, and The Shadow. Yeah. Yeah, it's really high on their list if that's who they got to direct this thing. <laughs> We're in good uh, hands. Yeah, really. We're going to make a real fantastic Ghost Rider film that Oof. has yet to happen, even with the ones they made. This flame dies out, thankfully, on the Ghost Rider until the 2000 Nicolas Cage movies, which probably should have died out as well. <laughs> you don't like Ghost Rider pee and fire? Come on. No. No. Okay. Next up, Men in Black from Malibu Comics is on the way to the big screen, despite being a mostly unknown property, even in the world of comic books. I will admit, up until after the movie came out, I did not know it was a comic prior. Me neither. Wizard uh-huh. notes that the lead roles were originally offered to recent Batman Forever co-stars Tommy Lee Jones and Chris O'Donnell, but O'Donnell declined to avoid sidekick overkill. Okay. Uh, <laughs> though Jones will star in it eventually, which is kind of funny. So who was the runner-up to Robin? None other than, wow, weird, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But this is long before that movie came out, right? No, uh-huh. this is like he was known as the Fresh Prince. He had been in Independence Day. Right. And that's no, this it. Yeah. before Independence Day. So in, really? uh, Fresh Prince was still, it was in its last season at this point. Oh, okay. Is Independence Day 97? No, it was 96, but this is winter oh. 96. That's a good point. Independence okay. Day came out on Independence Day 96. Oh, wow. Okay. I always thought it came out later than that, but I guess, all right, yeah, that makes sense. That's fair. So that's kind of cool. Like the, They actually got this rumor right, which is pretty surprising. Uh-huh. Finally, the writer of Cliffhanger and Goldeneye, and I will say, I like Cliffhanger far better than Goldeneye. Really? I hate Goldeneye. I Whoa. I hate that movie. Controversial so take. I just cannot... Ugh. Boo. Mike Franz has been tapped to create the screenplay for the, oh my goodness, we're still (laughs) talking about the Chris Columbus Fantastic Four movie? Say what you will about the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie, at least it was actually made and was filmed. Yeah. Uh Not released, but made and filmed. (laughs) Here we go. This issue features a casting call for the Dark Knight Returns film based on the Frank Miller comics. So, first up, 
For Batman, they have former NFL star Fred Dreyer from The Hunter. Do you remember Hunter, that TV series? I do. Yeah. Vaguely. I honestly would have, I mean, even at this age, I would have been like Clint Eastwood. Like, why not, you know? Well, I mean, and if not, you know, uh, this Fred Dreyer guy, I feel like if you got, uh, I was going to say Ed O'Neill, but um, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Okay, now done wait it a too. minute. Ed O'Neill would have been a great. <laughs> Ed O'Neill I for Batman. I would be all in on that. <laughs> Maybe he could have been a good Commissioner Gordon. I'll oh. give Ed O'Neill that. He would have been fun. Okay. Modern, yes, modern yeah. day Ed O'Neill is Commissioner Gordon. I like that. Sure. Next up here for Robin, you got to remember, you know, that this is the female robin i remember that blew my mind as a kid seeing this around 1989 my friend's older brother showed me he's like look at this story robin's a girl i was like what (laughs) but they chose anna chumsky the star of my girl and my girl too I, I like her. I could, I could I could get behind that. She's spunky, yeah. She would have uh-huh. been good. She's spunky. It's an old man <laughs> thing to say there, buddy. <laughs> She's got, got some spunk, spunk there. You got some spunk there, kid. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Speaking of Ed Harris, they have oh. or Two-Face, funny enough. I didn't see you over there, Ed. Oh, yeah. Harvey Dent. Might as well. I like how they just say here, plus, he just looks good bald. <laughs> but the photo they have, he has hair. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> what the hell? Commissioner Gordon, we just put in our thought here for Ed O'Neill, but they wanted Sam Elliott. This is 100% oh. just based on the mustache. Yeah. Jim Gordon yeah, is that's... not a country boy. This... That's a this... horrible picture of Sam Elliott, by the yeah. way. I hate that photo. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? You guys ever watch C-Lab 2021? Yes! Do you yes. want the mustache on or off? Oh, please. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> I love that show. All right, what about Chad? Um, Who do you see there as the choice for Superman? I, you know, I thought that was Bruce Campbell, but it's Brad Johnson from Always in Flight of the Intruder. Who? <laughs> what in the world? I mean, he's a good-looking guy. Yeah, he looks like Superman, but I, I've never seen him. Yeah, that's Don't weird. know who he is. That's a, I mean, that's a terrible casting, because he's supposed to be a, a little bit older. Yeah, oh, my goodness. Boo. Who, who did this list? Okay, so for the Joker, they have Tim Curry, I guess because he was the clown in It. And he was in the running to play the Joker originally yep. in Batman 89. Mm-hmm. And on the animated series, actually. Yep. <laughs> Always the henchman, never the Joker. On the next page here, we have for the mutant leader. Oh, that guy with those nipples, man. They freaked oh. me out the first time I read this. <laughs> Red bullet nipples. They wanted Nikita Koloff, a wrestler there, yeah. Chad. They didn't even spell the name right either. It's A O L O F F. Was uh, um, was right. was Big Show around by then? He was just starting out. Yeah. I mean, he would have probably been better. I would have Captain Insano himself is the mutant yeah. leader. All right, how about so, for Green Arrow there, Michael? So for Green Arrow, they have Howard Hessman. Is that from Head of the Class? That's right. Hey, good pull. Mm-hmm. What like? <laughs> well, but Green Arrow has a sense of humor and. Howard Hessman, he had that kind of dry wit. But this, this Green Arrow did not have a sense of humor in this book. He was, mm-hmm. oh. he was really that, he was more like, a, you know, beaten down by time, I feel like. I guess I'm thinking of the yeah. later books in this series, because he does get a little more jokey later on, when he's got the one arm uh-huh. and everything, you know, like he makes jokes about it and stuff, so. Just another character that I don't know if everybody remembers her, she was, you know, the commissioner yeah. uh, that took over for Jim Gordon, but Captain Ellen Yindel... 
They wanted Jamie Lee Curtis. I say that's awesome. Jamie Lee Curtis in anything. I say boo to that as well. What? Oh, yeah. She hasn't These been good. These are terrible in... choices. She legitimately has not been good in anything since True Lies, period. Well, she was at, in the True Lies era right here, so maybe she still would have gotten it. Yeah, no, she's horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> How about for Alfred, Chad? Who's this? They wanted Tony Randall? And, and can I just read the description? Because it's not, it's terrible. Who better than Tony Randall to play Bruce Wayne's anal and ever so trustworthy butler? They're not really selling it. Well, you know, we don't know the odd couple as much as the earlier generations. I know him as Brain Gremlin from Gremlins yep. 2, the new batch. So I kind of am on board with that, just but from that no perspective. No offense to any boomers, that's all he'll ever be to me is uh, <laughs> Brain is, Gremlin. Is Tony Randall British? He's got a, he's got an affectation in his voice, but I don't think he's British. Yeah. And, and was Alfred alive in The Dark Knight? Well, they, they took a panel from the comic. He's right there. That's a forgettable panel because I don't remember that at all. Maybe it was a flashback. I don't know. I'd yes. love to go back and read it. This is this is probably one of, if not the worst casting they've done for. <laughs> well, comic. it's because uh-huh. it's a book you know and care about. That's the difference. Michael. Okay, I gotta think the next Doctor Walper, which doesn't need to be in the movie, like irrelevant. They chose Gabe Kaplan from Welcome Back, Cotter. First of all, I love Welcome Back, Cotter, and this is an insult to Gabe Kaplan. (laughs) No. Looks just like him. Looks like yeah. him. Come on, like he's. Oh my God, it's, it's Mr. Cotter. Like, well, but on. you say this is this character is very essential to like the whole Harvey Dent and the Joker. Like, is he really? Them? Yeah, isn't he the guy who's basically vouching for them? You know what? Can I can I submit an argument here? Okay. I feel like if they had done this movie and included Doctor Walper, it would have been this essentially the same as when Thomas Lennon was in um, Dark Knight Rises, where he was just the Doctor and. That literally could have been anyone. Right. And I love yeah. Thomas Lennon. Well, uh, I'll just take this next one real quick. The fat guy. I don't remember <laughs> the fat guy from anything uh, in the story, but they say David Ogden Steers, who did go on to play the Martian Manhunter in that Justice League pilot from the no. 90s. Yes, he was Martian oh. Manhunter in that. Oh, no. I'm going to get sick again. <laughs> uh, uh, honestly, a better casting for the fat guy at this time would have been Jason Alexander from Seinfeld. He wasn't that fat. He's just stocky. Or how about, oh, who was the guy from The Crow? James Polito? Oh, yeah, the guy in The Rocketeer. Yes. Yes. That would be great. All right, Michael, your favorite guy next. Okay, so David Endocrine. Is that how you say his name? Endocrine. Endocrine. The talk show host. They want David Letterman, which. All right, fine. I love David Letterman, so I have no qualms with this one. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously an homage to David Letterman anyway, like, in the comic. Even though the look of the character in this particular panel that they pulled looks more like Dan Quayle with big... That's true. Yes. Speaking of those presidential folks, Ronald Reagan, he's just going to play himself. (laughs) All right. And who is the last choice here? An 80s talk show mainstay, Chad. Uh, Dr. Ruth. So we know where this is going. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Dr. Ruth. 
This is like mentally exhausting. I don't want to remember this ever again. No, I want to. This is a forgettable one. <laughs> wow, I did oh, not expect atrocious. this reaction from you guys. Okay, well, Chad, we got something to perk you up to get your spirit flying high because you are a collector of action figures and toys. You love them, so we're gonna get into merch madness. Merch madness. <laughs> So today in Merch Madness, the big story, <laughs> I'm sorry, it frightened me in 96, and it frightens me now. G.I. Joe Extreme from Hasbro is a reimagining of the classic military toys, which will be inspired by the new animated series and a comic book from Dark Horse. This is an all-new group of Joes, including Lieutenant Stone, Metalhead, Ballistic, Freight, and Sergeant Savage, facing off against the evil forces of Scar, Soldiers of Chaos, Anarchy and Ruin, led by Iron Claw. Whew. So, I had two of the figures. I have always been a G.I. Joe loyalist. I hated this line. <laughs> it confused me when it came out. I was just like, this is not G.I. Joe. This no. is not the right size, the scale, like none of it. No. I bought the Iron Claw figure only so I could actually modify it to turn it into a character that I had created, one of my own comic creations. And so I you know, got all the sculpty and stuff and repainted him and turned him into that character. But I did not have any interest in G.I. Joe Extreme. Oh, terrible. And the cartoon was atrocious. I cu- couldn't watch it. Could not watch it. Yeah, speaking of which, Knowing is Half the Podcast, which is a very fun podcast, you can go listen to them, and they have been covering G.I. Joe Extreme of late, they, because they went through Deke era, and they, you know, oh. then they moved on to the Extreme uh, era of the 90s, so. So, Chad, what's am... your take on, on the G.I. Joe movies? I haven't seen Snake Eyes. I, I hated the first one. I liked the second one. I thought that was a lot more entertaining. To me, to this day, the only movie that really really matters is the animated one that was like a john carpenter gi joe movie with (laughs) aliens he's essentially the thing with uh just gi joe and cobra do you know when the first live action gi joe movie was going to happen and what it turned into no let's hear it street fighter with jean-claude van damme that was originally it was originally pitched and it was going to be a G.I. Joe movie. Unfortunately, G.I. Joe, it, it was dying off. It was kind of cooling yeah. off. But if you look at it, M. Bison is very yeah. Cobra Commander. Guile is Duke. Yeah. yeah. You can totally see it. Yep. And there's something about G.I. Joe that just doesn't seem to translate well into live action. I agree. Like, I love G.I. Joe also, and I they, they can't seem to figure that out in live action at all. I don't know. I love the first movie, guys. See, I don't know. I, like I really it. got a kick out I'm of it. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I really did like the first one. I actually mm-hmm. like the the costume redesign, even though you know it was very heavily like Matrixy kind of influenced. But yeah. I I liked the first movie. It's the only time I've liked Marlon Wayans in a movie. Yeah. I, oh wow. You know, and I I love Bruce Willis, but I just didn't like him in the sequel. To- yeah, that was just one of his famous cameos. Yep. <laughs> I just don't <laughs> like Bruce Willis to begin with. Uh, but I, oh, I, we I can't get say... into this. We cannot go on down this road with Michael. <laughs> don't insult my boy Bruce Willis. <laughs> I will show some respect on the show. Uh, but t- take us to the next one here, Chad. All right. So, 
Toy Biz announces the release of their Age of Apocalypse figures inspired by the mega popular storyline from 1995, including Cyclops, Magneto, Weapon X, Sabretooth, and Apocalypse. Though the planned Gambit figure has been canceled, these toys were featured prominently in the movie Jingle All the Way. They were? I, I'll yeah, be so I, I just did a whole article for the Retro Network about action figures featured in Jingle All the Way and Age of Apocalypse. They're all over the place. It's crazy. I had Wolverine and the Apocalypse figure itself, but I, I, I'm not going to lie. I hated the Age of Apocalypse story. Wow. Yeah, I just, I it, it did nothing for me. I just thought it was kind of lame at that time. I'm sure I would appreciate it more now, but... I like the comics. I just didn't want the figures because they were so, like, Joe Matarera inspired and everybody loves his art and I am not a fan. It's too cartoony for me. And I think that that's why I ended up getting the Wolverine and Apocalypse is because I like the look, hmm. even though I didn't like the comic. But I just thought that, like, the Apocalypse was a really cool looking figure. I remember that. But swing and a miss for me. Speaking of swinging... Oh, a new wave of Spider-Man figures are on the way, including Carnage Unleashed, Tombstone, Man-Spider, Octo-Spidey, and Web-Cannon-Spider-Man. <laughs> I don't know why he needs a Web-Cannon, but I still have my Man-Spider on the shelf over here. I thought it said Web-Cam Spider-Man. Wait a What is this now? This That's is, at Penthouse Comics, this, Michael. This That's banned by the uh, comics police there. <laughs> So it's also mentioned that planned U.S. agent and Adam Warlock figures were pulled from the most recent waves of Iron Man and Fantastic Four figures. Now, I tend to remember U.S. agent actually making it on store shelves. It may have been like a foreign Canadian, maybe even overseas release. But I didn't remember him being released somewhere. And yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. Like I because like all the characters that they did release in the Iron Man line were from Force Works, and U.S. Yeah. Agent got a redesign. He was a whole part of that. So it's weird that they decided to pull the figure. I wonder why. I'm almost certain I've seen the figure somewhere, and I think Adam Warlock eventually. I think he became um. There's a vendor called Puzzle Zoo, and you would see them advertise in like Wizard and Tomarts and all that. Oh. Uh, I think he was an exclusive later toy fair did a little bit of that too where they would like hey you never produced this figure why don't we sell it as an exclusive yeah or they would just like reap what was a colossus on silver surfer head to make molten man <laughs> what what a winner uh speaking of winners after the success with jim lee's wildcats line playmates is now releasing a line of figures based on eric larson's the savage dragon which includes the dragon battle <laughs> the dragon battle <laughs> can't read this <laughs> battle damage dragon she's dragon and barbaric here's a mashup we were talking about amalgam earlier this is something that wwf should have contacted eric larson you know and gotten the savage dragon to be mixed up with the one and only dragon that matters in classic wwf you know Ooh. don't you think if they could have gotten steamboat and a dragon mashup that would have yeah. been awesome well, I mean, Mattel is doing those, did those WWE Master of the Universe figures. Oh, well. yeah. The Savage Dragon cartoon was pretty lame, not good. <laughs> and the Wildcat, I, I collected, I was a massive Wildcats fan. I collected all the figures. I loved it. The cartoon was just awful, too. But this was kind of the beginning of where we were going with all these, like, independent. Yeah, it was pretty awesome because just at the comic book store and everything, no matter who was publishing the comic, it felt like everything. Everybody was able to create an action figure of their character. Yeah, it was pretty rad if you were a comics fan. You could get them all. 
Well, we thank you for giving us that bit of toy news there, Chad, and we may have a little bit more to come as we rev up Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. McFarlane had to keep new product on store shelves, and so he was releasing figures for Sam Keith's The Max, a new version of The Clown, Jim Valentino's Shadowhawk, a She-Spawn, and an Exoskeleton Spawn. And that's all the news we have, guys. <laughs> well, we, we, we need to kind of talk about that Max figure for a second, because it led to what was, I think, the first McFarlane exclusive, which was The Bago Is. Oh, and it yes. contains the red is, which was a massive deal, and it sold out, and it was a pain in the butt, and I'm speaking from <laughs> experience. I'm not still angry or anything. I'm not talking about it in therapy. You're not I'm over at it. all. No! <laughs> Todd, if you're listening, we put up with that stupid Todd the Artist figure. You could have done a better job here. Wasn't there another exclusive called Corn Boy? Yeah. It was oh. based on a guy that worked in the office that went on to be part of that, uh, what was, what's that group? Man, no, not Man Four of Horsemen. Action. What? Yeah, the Four Horsemen. And they yeah. actually did the redesign of He-Man in 2002, which worked yep. just fantastic. Rock on. Well, that being the case, though, such little mention of Jim and Todd in this issue. Jim Lee Aww. was mentioned only four times. Todd only mentioned twice, which brings our running total to Jim Lee, 296 mentions. Todd McFarlane, 320. Well, Michael, I think we could all use a laugh. And we're hoping that Wizard is going to deliver this time around. So why don't you take us into Turok's Top 10. Tonight's top ten is probably going to be wildly offensive. Here we go. <laughs> oh. oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, number one. This is going to be good. For tonight's Turok top ten, I promise you, I'm not looking at the screen. I'm going to turn, and you're going to get my live, legitimate reaction. Okay. Top ten characters who missed being in the Legion of Superheroes by... This much. Little space between the figures. Missed it by that much. <laughs> Number 10, Gummy Man. Nope, say it again. Gummy Man. Oh, oh Gummy Boy. Oh, gummy Boy. Right, right. <laughs> gummy Man. Gummy Man. <laughs> Number 9, Big Jugs Lass. <laughs> she would have sold a lot of comics. Yeah. Number 8, Imploding Reindeer Lad. <laughs> What? The physics of that. Couldn't it just be impl imploding lad, period? You don't need to, the reindeer? It's funnier if he has antlers. Got Number it. seven, love handles lad. Hey, I could be in the Legion. Next you have, like, dad bod boy. <laughs> Number six, Cheryl lad. That's pretty good. Come on. <laughs> Little Charlie's Angels in there, but Cheryl Lad. <sighs> Number five is Fetch Me Some Coffee, Boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's probably my favorite. Okay. Number four, Corpse Kid. <laughs> Jason Todd? Yeah. Oh, too soon. Too soon. Number three, Egg Fluff Donut <laughs> Fart Lad. 
I don't even know what that means. That was my favorite when this issue came out, by the way. How does somebody have an egg fluff donut fart? <laughs> I am at a loss. <laughs> and then number two is, am I saying this right? Lad lass. <laughs> Everybody's a lad or a lass in the Legion. Just All put right. them together. All right. Okay. okay. Number one. I always get the Keep squeezing them monkeys, lad. <laughs> his second appearance on a top ten list, which was his origin, and if you listen to our most recent, uh, or actually not our most recent at this point, if you listen to mini episode 52.5, you got the history or alternate timeline history of Keep Squeezing Them Monkeys, lad. This they will not let go of, neither will the readers. He becomes a fully costumed character, Michael. Well, I will say, as these top ten lists go, this was not as offensive as some of the Such others. a relief. <laughs> this could have gone really dark really fast. <laughs> and I, being a huge Legion of Superhero fan, appreciate this list. <laughs> so, oh, see, every once in a while, Wizard redeemed themselves. Well, Chad, thank you so much for joining us. This is a great discussion, man. There are so many stories, so many experiences you shared with us. They're, they're surely only Chad stories. You are oh. chatting it up. Well, thank and, uh, you. <laughs> if people want to find out more about what you're doing, your latest adventures, where can they find you online? At Horror Movie Barbecue on Twitter, Instagram, and there is a Facebook page that I occasionally update. And- and speaking of occasionally update, I do have a blog with uh, many typos, but pretty pictures. The pictures are nice. <laughs> At HorrorMovieBarbecue.com. Yes, I definitely recommend you guys check this stuff out, especially if you follow Chad on Twitter. Like, you're just going to find some interesting opinions, but Oof. also just a lot of fun collectibles and vintage yes. items is popping up that he's finding. And a lot of pictures of bunnies. Do you like bunnies? Yes. <laughs> Chad does. So that's awesome. And of course, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. Stay tuned, guys, because we continue to bring you fun content in many different forms whether it is on our YouTube channel at Wizards Podcast over there or whether we are just hitting you up on social media or here on the main shows and bonus episodes if you have a suggestion let us know because we are listening and we will bring it to you in a format that we can handle (laughs) that Michael has time for yes but with that we will say that we have a special guest coming up for issue 55 if you want to find out who it is go on over to the mini episode 55 4.5 where I will drop the bomb and you will find out this very special person in the world of comics podcasting and hosting who will be joining us so until next time keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.